0: 1121 in Hebrews. By faith Jacob blessed and worshipped. By faith Jacob blessed and worshipped. Hebrews 1121. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We know that it is your Word, and we ask you now to illumine us, enlighten us, and guide us along the way. Grant us the wisdom we need, the, the ability to comprehend, guided by your Holy Spirit, what this truth is in this verse. Grant to us to have the kind of faith that Jacob had as he was dying. We pray in Christ's name, amen. In a series of verses that that we're taking up in the last couple of weeks and the next week, we have just one verse about each of these patriarchs. We had one verse about Isaac, one verse about Jacob, and one verse about Joseph. There is, I believe, a commonality that our Apostle has presented here with these patriarchs, and even with Abraham in the preceding passage I think what he's doing is he's giving us examples. In the case of Abraham, the last of his temptations or the greatest of his temptations and one that happened later in his life. He gave us an example of Abraham's initial faith and then another example of his faith later in life when he offered up Isaac on the altar. This is the example of Abraham. In the case of Isaac, Isaac was blessing his sons, Jacob and Esau, when he was near death. In this case, Jacob is blessing his grandsons, sons of Joseph, his son, near his death. And also next time we will see that Joseph does the same, as the text says, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the Exodus, so forth. In these cases, our apostle has not arbitrarily chosen these passages or these incidents or these evidences of true faith in the lives of these patriarchs. But what he's trying to do, as he has been doing throughout this letter, is he's trying to exhort us to, to remain true to the Lord, to endure until the end, to persevere until the end of our life, until the time that we meet our Lord face to face. That's why he's giving us these examples. Examples of those who led a long life, A blessed life because God's presence was with them. God saved them from their sins and God provided for their needs, their physical needs. Yes, they were blessed in that way, but these examples are given to drive home the point that we must endure until the end. Notice, for example, when when we say that this epistle is written in order to encourage us to persevere, let's look at a few earlier examples. In Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Hebrews 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Verse 14, 3:14. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast, the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. Hold fast, firm until the end. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Remember, there's one major passage that is often misinterpreted as though a true believer can leave the faith and become an unbeliever. That's not the way this passage should be taken. But notice in this warning of chapter 6, what he says about these people he describes. six four. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. In this case, he describes one who does not endure until the end, but one who falls away. Verse 6 says, Have fallen away. And he's telling us we better not be like those who fall away. So it's good to endure until the end, but not to fall away. Then continue reading in chapter 6, six, six nine. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. There he goes again, Te- teaching us, encouraging us to persevere, to have full assurance of hope until the end. That you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience to inherit the promises. Let's continue. Chapter 2. 10, in chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 36. Actually, we can begin at verse 35, 35, 10:35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't fall away, don't throw it away, don't discard your confidence, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. After asserting there that we ought not to shrink back to destruction, but have faith to the preserving of the soul, then our chapter, chapter 11, he has a long list of those saints of old who continued in that faith until the end. I believe that's what he is doing with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He's teaching us about those who did endure until the end. Back to Hebrews eleven twenty-one. Now, when it says, by faith, Jacob. Remember, and this is sometimes a point of confusion, Jacob was the original name or the birth name of the patriarch who was the son of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was his birth name. But later in life, God changed his name or gave him an additional name, Israel. In Genesis chapter 35, we can read of that. When God made promises to Jacob, he gave him an additional name, Israel. He did not abolish the old name, he just gave him an additional name. And then in the scriptures, this patriarch, this individual, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and the, the one who was a twin of Esau, this Jacob is often called Israel. So sometimes, especially in the prophets, this interchangeable use of the names occurs. And sometimes when you are reading the prophets, it can be confusing. Sometimes the prophets are talking about the individual Jacob, also called Israel. But it's more than that too. As you are reading scripture and the prophets, the name Jacob and Israel is then further used to describe the whole nation, the 12 tribes, who eventually lived in the land of Canaan, eventually became numerous in in the millions and millions of tens of millions of people in the land of Canaan, when they are there, sometimes that whole nation, not just a tribe, but the whole nation is called Jacob or Israel. And then finally, well, not finally, thirdly, in relation to us, in relation to us, Jacob or Israel is a term of endearment God uses to describe us. It's a term of endearment God uses to describe us. Just as he chose Jacob, the patriarch, and was, uh, in, behaved and conducted himself in endearing ways towards Jacob, or Israel, the patriarch, he does so to us, who have the same faith as Jacob. How do we know that that is the case? For example, in Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, the Apostle Paul gives us one example of this truth. Galatians 6, 16. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God. This is a phrase that means us, we who are in Christ. God calls us here the Israel of God. The God-blessed Israel. So we are also known as Israel. And one more place, a fourth way in which this term is used in a significant way is found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 3. Isaiah 49 3. This passage is Isaiah the prophet telling us about a conversation between God the Father and the Son. That is, the Father and the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it says. Genesis, or Isaiah 49, 3. Isaiah 49, 3. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. The Father tells the Son, You are my servant, and the God the Father calls his own Son by this name Israel. These are the various ways in which this word is used. Now, when we see in Hebrews eleven twenty-one, 21, we should not be confused. We are talking about the individual, the patriarch, the one who was the brother of Jacob and the son of Isaac and Rebekah. It is this Jacob who lived by faith. He lived by faith. He lived by faith, as it says in 11:1, Hebrews 11, 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old... Gained approval. Verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This was the kind of faith that Jacob had. Not his whole life, because he had to be converted, just like all of us have to be converted at some point in our life. But once he was converted by God, and changed by God, justified by God... This is the faith he owned. This is the faith he had. But also, this faith was not a temporary faith. The faith of Jacob was not uh, a faith that is like the wind or like a mist that's here and then suddenly gone. His faith was an enduring faith. It was a persevering faith. It was a patient faith. We know that because he reminds us In our verse, he says, As he was dying. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying. From the book of Genesis, Genesis chapters 47 and 48, we know that Jacob lived to be 147 years old. And in Genesis 47 verse 9, Jacob says that, he says, Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. Yet... During those 147 years, few and unpleasant, he says. Few in comparison to how long Abraham lived and how long Isaac lived. But in terms of our estimation, that would be a long time. Yet, that's the way he looked at it. He said, few and unpleasant. Few, not only in relation to his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, but also, I think, Jacob was looking to eternity. That's why he said few. And also he said few and unpleasant. Literally the text says few and evil. Meaning his whole life was full of affliction and turmoil. His full, whole life was full of persecution, misunderstanding, slanders, and his need to endure and persevere until the end. His whole life was that way. That's why he says when he was 130 years, few and unpleasant, For few and evil have been the days of my life. Why? Because in faith, he looked at that which is unseen. By faith, he looked at eternity. By faith, he knew that when he died, he was going to be with his Lord forever. And then it wouldn't be unpleasant, it would be pleasant or good. Amen. And then it wouldn't be few, but it'll be eternally. For the days of all eternity, on and on and on, he would be with his Lord. He endured until the end, until his last breath. He never denied the faith. He never went back on what he vowed when he was converted and came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. He had a faith until the day he died, as he was dying. That's the kind of faith that we are expected to have, as we just saw in the few verses in the book of Hebrews, to endure and, and continue until the very end. Notice also, turn a couple of pages to the book of James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, where he teaches us the same thing. James chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 1. James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who have dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What are we supposed to do whenever we do have these afflictions, when we do have these evil days that come upon us? He says, consider it all joy. Don't let the evil things, don't let the afflictions bother you, torment you, make you anxious, make you fall away from the faith, lose faith. No, don't let that happen. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy when the trials come. Why? He tells us why in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It is the testing of faith That is God's means of making us endure. And when we do endure, what happens? Verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result. That means that God has a perfect plan for us because there's a perfect result. And that takes place through endurance. Endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are from our point of conversion until the time that we come to see Christ face-to-face. We are being transformed and reformed and progressing in our holiness, in our growth, in our obedience from one stage to another and growing and growing and growing. This is the way God intends it to be until we meet Christ face-to-face and we are 100% perfect. Mm. This is the way of Scripture. Look also at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James 5, and verse 7. He continues on this subject of perseverance and endurance. James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, The judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Be patient until the Lord comes. The farmer waits. The farmer is patient. He does that so that he can have a crop so that he can eat, so his family can eat, so that he can sell some of it, and make some money to survive, right? The farmer does it for that reason. Why can't we do it for a better reason? For an eternal reason, for eternal food, for an eternal reward. Be patient, don't complain. And then also look at the, those of old who did suffer and were patient, like the prophets, like Job, like Jacob, and all the rest of them. They continued, they continued, and continued. And see, he says, the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Which reminds us, let's go back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 12. He summarizes in one verse what we just read. James 1, 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Mm -hmm. There we have it, right there. We are blessed when we persevere under trial. Don't let any trial, any temptation, any test, any troubles cause us to walk away from the faith. Mm -hmm. Because once we are approved, approved by God, we receive the crown of life. Who doesn't want the crown of life? that will be with us forever and ever. And it says, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If the Lord has promised it, as Hebrews is telling us constantly about the promises of God, then why don't we believe his word? Faith is believing in his word about things that we don't yet experience, things that we don't yet know in experiential ways. We don't have that yet, but we believe it. We believe it because he said it. And we show that we believe it by loving him. Loving him. We want him and we love him. Return now to Hebrews eleven, twenty-one. 21. Jacob did this as he was dying. Jesus did that too, did he not? Did not Jesus say, it is finished? Until the time... He breathed his last breath. Jesus did not deny the Father. Jesus did not deny the faith. He did not do so. Even in the New Testament, we have Stephen in Acts chapter 7. When he was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, he saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When he is dying and breathing his last breath, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the Apostle Paul also, in 2 Timothy 4.18, he says, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's when he wrote the last letter of his life. Most likely, 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison and about to be executed. He says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Safely in what sense? His soul was safe in the hands of God and going to be with Christ forever. Let's also be like Jacob and all these others as we are dying, maintaining our faith. Now, how else is there evidence or what evidence do we have that Jacob had this kind of faith? Well, it tells us two things that he did. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and he worshipped. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped. An evidence of Jacob's faith was that Jacob, by the Spirit of God, he blessed the sons of Joseph, his grandsons, Jacob's grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He blessed them about things that he would not even see with his own eyes. That's faith in the unseen. He knew what God promised, the Spirit of God was on him, and he prophesied about the future, about his grandsons, in things that he did not experience. And we read in Genesis 48 how they would become multitudes of nations. But Ephraim would be a bigger nation than Manasseh. And this is what happened hundreds of years later. Ephraim and Manasseh became tribes, And Ephraim as a tribe was a bigger tribe than the tribe of Manasseh. And another synonym of the whole nation is not only Israel or Jacob or Judah, but sometimes the prophets call the whole nation Ephraim. They don't usually say Manasseh, but sometimes they'll say Ephraim. Ephraim is my son, like in Jeremiah 31, 9. Ephraim is my son, my firstborn son, God says. That's the term of endearment God used to describe his people, and he called Ephraim a firstborn, even though Ephraim was not the firstborn. But in terms of adoption, in terms of inheritance, he called him the firstborn. Now think about this. When Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, do you think that he only did that at the end of life? that he only had concern about the welfare of Ephraim and Manasseh only at the end of life? Or do you think what would be more fair to assume that Jacob had concern for Joseph and all the other sons that Jacob had and daughters that Jacob had and the grandsons and granddaughters that Jacob had? Do you think that during his life he had concern for their welfare? I think it's fair to assume that he did have concern during his life for his own children's welfare. Not just physical, my point is, more importantly, spiritual welfare. Yes, I think that Jacob, he prayed for his children and grandchildren. I think that Jacob taught his children and grandchildren the word of God. I think that he taught his children and grandchildren the ways of God, how to follow the Lord throughout their whole life. Just like God taught Abraham to do so, I think Abraham taught his own sons and grandsons. For example, Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. Genesis 18, 19. This is said of Abraham, but I believe that this is true of all of the saints, that this is what they would have done. Genesis 18, 19. This is the way in which they would have spiritually blessed their children. Genesis eighteen nineteen. For I have chosen him, that is God has chosen Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. It's fair to assume that that Abraham, a man of faith, a great man of faith, and the best model of faith that the scripture presents to us, that he obeyed this. God expected it of him, and he did this. And then Isaac did. And then Isaac did to Jacob. And then Jacob would have done to his own family, and Joseph to his own two sons and his other children. This is the way it ought to be. This is the way that we are taught in Deuteronomy chapter 6. After explaining... Please turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. After announcing the greatest commandment, notice who should be the first, the immediate, instant recipients of this knowledge of the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is where the first and greatest commandment, first and foremost commandment, as our Lord Jesus called it, there it's supposed to be practiced in the house, in the family. It says, It says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons. The word of God is supposed to be taught. This is what Jacob did. This is what Moses taught the people to do. And this is even what the Apostle Paul has taught us to do. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Actually, let's begin at verse 1, because it will be both ways, in both directions. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first three verses... are addressing the children to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes two verses from the book of Exodus, from Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and mother, and that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. There, the children are supposed to know the word, and they would have known that the apostle just quoted two passages from the Bible, from Scripture, to support the view that children ought to obey their parents from scripture and also scripture from fathers to the children it says in verse four fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord the discipline and instruction of the Lord well how are they going to know the discipline and instruction of the Lord from the word of God from the word of God for their spiritual benefit for their spiritual salvation, for their spiritual sanctification. This is what they need. And this is what Jacob would have done. When he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, it's not as though that was the only time he had the spiritual and physical provisions of his children in mind. No, it was not. I believe it was characteristic of him throughout his life, just as it should be characteristic of all of us who have faith in Christ teaching them the word of God. That is the true and most superior way to bless our children. Next, the text of Genesis, or Hebrews 11 says, the text of Hebrews 11 also says that he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob, did he not worship God all his life? Of course he did. But even now, at the end of life, when he hardly has any strength, hardly has any breath, cannot see, his eyes were too dim to see when Joseph brought the two sons before him. He was so frail, so weak at that point in life, he still desired to have a reverence for God, a fear of God, fear and trembling for God, that he worshipped God. And he had to gather enough strength to worship God in this way, to lean on the top of his staff. That's the kind of reverence and honor and fear he had towards the worship of God. He worshiped God like that, towards the end of his life, at the end of his life. Now, think about this. He certainly worshiped God throughout life, but he knew that the most important thing that he was about to experience for all eternity was to worship God. Right there. He gathered his strength, physical strength, to be able to worship God right there on his deathbed. But he did this in anticipation of this eternal worship that he would enjoy. This eternal worship that would be his, which is all of ours. This eternal worship is most important. That's what he was doing. He wasn't just worshiping God in some physical way as a show, but it was what his soul desired because he was about to experience leaving this life and go to the life to come to worship God forever. Now people ask and people wonder, what will we do forever with God? They love to speculate, they love to dream, they love to fantasize. If they love to play golf, They they dream of golfing forever and ever. If they love to eat chocolate, they they dream of eating chocolate forever and ever. If they love their pets, they dream of having their pets by their side forever and ever. Whatever it is, people dream and fantasize of things like that. But when we are there with God, what else matters? Jacob knew nothing else matters. For Jacob, he wanted to worship God and the fact that he's going to be with Christ forever was all that was on his mind. And that's all that's really on the mind of the believer. When he's thinking straight, we we know we're going to be with Christ. And whatever happens forever and ever, anything else that may happen forever, it does not matter. It does not matter. And this is why the Bible does not present speculations. It does not present to us all kinds of details about what is there. It doesn't It doesn't tickle us. It doesn't try to amuse us about what to expect. It just tells us we'll be with him and we will worship him. And that's all we need to know. That should satisfy the believer. We will be with Christ and we will worship him. That's what we should long for. Now, in preparation for that day to come with Jacob, Believed in, which we all believe in, that day to come when we meet Christ face to face, it reminds us of what we must do now. Now, when we worship God, what should we expect? When we worship God now, what should we expect? Should we also expect now to worship Him in a way that is a foretaste of the life to come? Or should we worship Him now? in the ways of human inventions, man-made traditions, actually man-made amusements. This is the problem of our day, that the worship of God has become basically an amusement park inside a church building. That's what the worship of God has become. It's, It's as though we go to a carnival or we go to a circus, we go to an amusement park, a theme park, inside a church building. That's the way worship has become. Worship has become man-centered. Worship has become me, myself, and I. Worship is narcissistic. What What is in there for me? It's about my ego. It's about my honor. It's about my glory. It's about my happiness, my this, my that, my wealth, my health, everything like that. My, 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 my. When that's not what worship is. In the Bible, worship is directed towards the living and true God. God Almighty, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, and our redeemer. It is related to him. We must focus on him, his attributes, his kindness, his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, his word, giving thanks to him for what he has done in our life, living in anticipation, living in faith as to what he will do in the future, being resolved and encouraged to do the will of God no matter what the cost, this is what worship should entail. Let's see a couple of examples of the true worship of God. First example is Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. In this passage, God is going to give for a second time the two tablets of the law uh, or of the Ten Commandments because the first copy, they were broken because of the idolatry of the people. They were broken. But now God is reappearing to Moses but before he does issue these tablets again, he says something to Moses about himself. Exodus 34, verse 5. 4, 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. God announced to Moses his own attributes, who he is. God identified himself in verse 6 as being the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, Keeping loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. We might say that's the mercy of God or summarize it as the the love of God or the grace of God. One of those as a summary of all of those things just said. But then the other part about who he is, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That, we may say, is the holiness of God or the righteousness of God, the justice of God. That's what he's describing in that second part of verse 7. When Moses heard that God, the, the identity of God and the attributes of God, when he heard about the identity of God, who he is, the Lord, the Lord God, and the attributes of God, his love and his righteousness, what did, and, God, and that God can do whatever he wants, because that's the implication right here. What did he do? He made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He fell on his face and worshiped God. That's what it should cause in us. When we think about who God is, what his attributes are, what he does in this world in relation to me as an individual, when we think of him that way, it should make us bow our heads and worship him. That's what happened to Moses. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse, verse 8. Revelation 4.8. After describing a vision of lit, uh, creatures, it says in 4.8, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. We also see here that they identify who God is, they identify his attributes, and then in verse 10 it says, they fall down before him, just like Moses fell down before God. They fall down before him and give him glory. Chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. This one is about falling down and worshiping before Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 5, 5 and verse 8. 5, eight. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, "'Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, "'for you were slain, and you purchased for God "'with your blood men from every tribe and tongue "'and people and nation. "'And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests "'to our God, and they will reign upon the earth.' "'And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels "'around the throne and the living creatures "'and the elders, and the number of them "'was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, "'saying with a loud voice, "'Worthy is the Lamb,' that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. They too... They identify who God is. They know who is is there, the object of their worship. They know, and they also know his attributes. And when they contemplate his identity and his attributes, they fall down and worship him. That's the way we ought to be. Whenever we worship God, whether as individuals, whether as couples, whether as families, whether as a church, whenever we worship God, This is what we have to have in view. Not ourselves, but Him. And the more we are joined to Him, the more we are united to Him, the more we are thinking about who He is, the more it benefits us. You see, this is the irony of the Bible. The people of the world, the theologies of the world, and within false Christianity, they put the focus on the man, but the more they put the focus on the man, the more they make the man miserable and especially miserable for all eternity because he'll go to hell. But in the Bible, the more the focus is on God, the better it is for us in this life and the life to come. That's the irony. Man doesn't look at it that way, but the Spirit of God who has transformed the man will look at it that way and say, that's the way I want to worship. This is the God I want to know. I want to know him more. I want to know his word more because this is all that matters to me in this life. Isn't that what Jesus did? He was in the temple and he said to his parents, did you not know I had to be about the things of God? That's all that mattered to him. The things of God. The worship of God. The knowledge of God. Obedience to God. Knowing his will and doing his will. Let's be like Jacob. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. May God grant that to us, that we might be the same way until our last breath and until we meet Christ face to face. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want this faith. We want you, as your word teaches us in Philippians, you said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, we want what you started in us to continue, to endure, to remain until we see you, until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day of his return and the day of judgment. We ask you, Lord, to build us up, encourage us, help us to encourage one another, to pray for one another and not lose heart, not lose heart no matter what happens. Keep us faithful, and may we understand through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And may we consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Grant us this endurance, this blessedness, until we meet Christ face to face. In his name we ask. Now, let me read a scripture to help prepare us to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let me read a scripture, and then we'll partake. Uh, we'll have a moment of silent prayer, and then we'll partake. I'm reading from Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. 22, 14, 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And having taken the cup, when he had given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And having taken some bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man through whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. May God grant us that we are faithful to him, that we never betray him, never fall away from the faith, Never do anything like that. The Lord's Supper is for those who have been, who have faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, who are also baptized. Bapti- baptism in the Bible is baptism by immersion. The word baptism means to be immersed. And if one is baptized, just like these 12 were, then they are free to partake and as well. Let us also make sure that we confess our sins. Whatever our sins are of uh, re- recently, whatever comes to mind, and even those things that don't come to mind, let's just confess all sins and come to God with clean hands and a pure heart that He might receive our worship as we worship with the Lord's Supper. Okay? Let's pray. I'll uh, Have a moment of silence and then I'll pray. Holy Father, we come to you in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Not because of our goodness, not our righteousness, not our wisdom, but only because of Christ. We thank you that we have access to you and that you hear our prayers. Thank you for looking at us in him. And thank you for our redemption, our forgiveness, our cleansing. We confess our sins and we pray that you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us and renew us. Increase our faith and enable us, Lord, to have more certainty, more conviction, more confidence about the things we believe, and may we grow in that faith. May we grow and be more and more faithful to Christ who died and rose again on our behalf. Save each of us. Help us. Give us endurance. In Jesus' name.